This is Science Friday. I'm Ira Plato. Later in the hour, looking at how artificial intelligence is an energy hog. Yes, perhaps worse than crypto mining. But first, not all birds can fly. I'm looking at you, penguins, ostriches, and kiwis. Now, it's pretty easy to figure out if a living bird can fly, but what about extinct birds, or say, bird ancestors like dinosaurs? Remember, all birds are dinosaurs, but not all dinosaurs evolved into birds. So scientists wanted to figure out if there was a way to tell if a dinosaur could fly or not. They found out that the number and symmetry of flight feathers are reliable indicators of whether or not a bird or a dinosaur could lift off the ground. Pretty interesting, isn't it? Joining me now to talk more about their research and how it might help us better understand how dinosaur flight evolved are my guests from the famed Field Museum in Chicago, Illinois. Dr. Yosef Kiat, postdoctoral researcher, and Dr. Jingmei O'Connor, associate curator of fossil reptiles at the Field Museum. Welcome to Science Friday. So exciting to be here and tell you about this really awesome research that Yosef has led. Okay, Dr. Kiat, let's get right to the bottom line. What are the characteristics of a bird or a dinosaur that can fly versus one that cannot? So we found that asymmetry of the primary feathers, the, the one of the most important feathers to flying in birds, differ between flying and flightless uh, birds uh, species with only little overlap between these two groups. And then we apply this uh, result to the extinct species, I mean dinosaurs, and steam birds and non-avian dinosaurs. And then we can reconstruct the flightability in this species. And we found that asymmetry of the primary feathers also occurs in some extinct species. And this is mean that this species already have a flightability. And the, the second important result, we found that among uh, modern birds, all uh, flying species have 9 to 11 primary feathers. When the uh, birds have fewer or more feathers than 11 primaries, it must to be lightless species. And then we again go back to the extinct uh, species, non-avian dinosaurs or steam birds. And we found that in some species we can find more uh, feathers uh, than uh, 11. Yosef, when you discovered this 9 to 11 feather feature in, in the birds that can fly uh, the primary feathers, were you surprised by this? I'm not surprised because I see it before I try to test it. But after I test it in a large number of species, yes, it's uh, become slightly surprised that this continue to be a strong uh, rate in all tested uh, species. I mean, it's really astounding on my part because, see, Yosef has, you know, ringed like thousands of birds. You know, he's caught so many birds. So he's really familiar with modern birds, whereas I'm, I'm a paleontologist, right? So I don't really know that much about living birds. If you think about them, they have so many different ways of flying 
right? You know, you have like bounding flight and soaring flight. And, and if you think about the, the shapes of birds' wings, they come in all different shapes and sizes, right? Some are very long and narrow and some are big and broad. And despite that enormous diversity, only nine to 11 primary feathers. So yeah, for, for Yosef, it was something he noticed while doing research and then tested it and proved it was right. But uh, for me, you know, he's just sharing this data for, with me. And I have to say, I was quite surprised. And I think it's it's really, really interesting. And I really hope that this opens up uh, new avenues of research and that developmental biologists, you know, people who work on biomechanics, et cetera, I really hope they jump in on this, this interesting observation and try to help us understand the why that's underneath it. When you say help you understand the why, exactly what why are you looking for? Why do all flying birds have only 9 to 11 primaries? I mean, that is a very narrow range, considering this enormous diversity. And so there must be a reason why. And I would, I would love to know why. And then what we notice is that, you know, when a long period of time has passed since flight has been lost, then the wing develops a new function. And the number of feathers changes with those other functions. So for example, with penguins and their forelimb now being a flipper that's essentially used for underwater flight, the feathers are now very small, but they're now functioning more similar to body feathers to just really insulate the, the surface of the flipper that once long, long ago used to be a wing. Wait, wait, wait. I got, I got to stop you there for a second. You, you, you're saying that a penguin used to fly? Penguins evolved from birds that were able to fly. Yes. So one of the prerequisites, one of the very first steps in evolving a penguin was the loss of flight. Now, there probably was an early evolutionary stage where they could basically fly underwater. So if you look at birds that forage in the water, they either forage with their feet or with their wings. Yeah, I'm thinking of cormorants here. Exactly, yeah. And so this early stage would have been having a wing that can function for flying underwater and also flying. But eventually, as the animals became more dependent on this underwater foraging ecosystem, the wing and the whole body shapes ever more for life in water. You were talking about uh, birds that developed feathers earlier in time were different than other birds. Explain that. They had different functionings for their feathers. Feathers are features that all living birds, which all have a common ancestor, they inherited from non-avian dinosaurs. And in fact, you can trace the earliest feathers back to being present in the ancestors of both pterosaurs and dinosaurs. So these primitive early ornithodirons had very simple feather structures that most likely evolved for insulation. And uh -huh. then only, only in dinosaurs closely related to birds do we see modern feather morphologies evolving. And we know that the arrangement of these feathers forming a wing-like structure on their forelimb also evolved for some other purpose that was not flight. And then evolution basically hijacked this existing structure for a new purpose for aerodynamics, for flight. One thing that we understand from the research led by Yosef is that actually the current fossil record is not capturing the early stages in the evolution of these feathers and the evolution of this proto-wing structure. Right now in the fossil record is a taxon called Caudipteryx. It's an oviraptorosaur. But Yosef's research suggests 
that this is a secondarily flightless dinosaur. We just think anyone who is investigating this area needs to take the soft tissues into account. They need to account for what the feathers are telling us. And this is something that people really haven't done previously. People tried to understand how flight evolved, but didn't actually look at the feathers that were sustaining flight themselves. You've mentioned secondary flightless a few times. Please explain to me what that means. Why, why is that a key issue here? So, you know, when we think about one of the most important characteristics of living birds is their ability to fly, but not all birds can fly. And the birds that cannot fly, like penguins and ostriches, but also things like flightless cormorants, they all have lost their ability to fly at some point during their evolution. So they evolve from birds that were able to fly. So this is what we mean by secondarily flightless. And actually something that I think is really interesting about Yosef's research, basically what it says is that birds that lose their ability to fly are evolutionarily short-lived lineages. Like once they lose their ability to fly, they go extinct within several million years. But in terms of lineages that have lost their flight and have been around for a very long time, there's very few. It's essentially penguins and different lineages of paleognathus birds like kiwis and ostriches. If the feather data is correct and Caudipteryx is a secondarily flightless dinosaur, then it means that secondarily flightless dinosaurs did not have the same problem as secondarily flightless birds. This would mean that the loss of flight in the case of of non-avian dinosaurs did not hinder them the way it seems that the loss of flight hinders most modern avian lineages. Dr. O'Connor, can you paint us a picture of what does a Caudipteryx look like? If you're going to imagine Caudipteryx, it would be about the size of like a, like a large turkey. And it would have very short arms, but with tiny little wings, wings like that are proportionately much shorter than you would see in, in a chicken or any bird that's able to fly. Just like tiny little wings that were probably used for ornamentation, but maybe they were used for running. We're, we're really not sure. The legs would have been really strong, robust legs. So, so an animal really adapted for running. And it would have had like kind of a big belly because uh, most specimens preserve uh, huge masses of uh, gizzard stones or gastroliths inside the stomach. The gastral mass in non-avian dinosaurs is bigger than it is in birds. And it's probably because once you evolve flight, you're kind of trying to constrain your body mass. You want to be as light as possible. So in these dinosaurs that are not flying, they're able to have really big gastral masses with these kind of large stomachs. So and then it also had teeth. So are you are you saying that this dinosaur's ancestors was able to fly and that this this dinosaur lost that ability? So that is that is what Yosef's feather data indicates. But that doesn't mean that that is what happened. But the inf- the data from the feathers is strongly suggesting that. Do we know why some dinosaurs went on to be able to fly and why some some were not? It probably has to do with uh, ecology, right? And that's also why many birds lose their ability to fly. It only happens in certain ecological environments. So basically, if you're able to get food and to hide from predators without flying, then evolution will select for that. And that is because flight powered flight is the most physically demanding form of vertebrate locomotion. It requires enormous energy to fly. So if you can survive without flying, 
then natural selection will favor that. But that's only possible for birds living in certain environments. But it's most common in birds that are aquatic or semi-aquatic, birds that are able to, you know, dive underwater in order to escape predators or hide in reeds on the lakeshore. Well, good luck in your research. I want to thank you for taking time to be with us today. Our pleasure, and thank you so much for your interest. Thank you. Dr. Yosef Kiat, postdoctoral researcher at the Field Museum in Chicago, and Dr. Jingmei O'Connor, associate curator of fossil reptiles at that same Field Museum. 